You are listening to a Nerd Room podcast production. We the Nerd. Bunch of nerds. Hey everyone and welcome to Nerd Room. We talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and beyond. This is episode number 329, we're discussing Stranger Things and the pandemic era of collecting and beyond. I'm your host, Tim. And I'm Carlos. And Carlos, my dude, this week is a bit of a divergence from the norm. We're going to do something a little different because we want to. We can, and we want to get away from some of the news talk we've got thor love and thunder coming up here of course and it's been a pretty slow week as we grade into july here waiting for sdcc so we thought we'd take a moment take a break from the everyday and talk about two things in our lives that are somewhat exciting and one is stranger things we just saw the two final episodes of season four which were absolute bangers in my opinion so we're just going to talk about that at high level and then we're going to grade into a different discussion a collecting discussion we have veered away from collecting a lot in the past little bit just because of our individual lives haven't been so accommodating to allow us to get into and on the hunt we're going to look backwards at what the pandemic era was into what i'm calling the pandemic hangover of collecting and then maybe what that means for the future of both of our individual collections but before we get into any of that carlos before we talk about stranger things how are you my friend i love your shirt by the way Oh, thanks, man. My uh, Jurassic pajamas from uh, yes. Ireland, I think these uh, <laughs> were brought from for me, but uh, they're uh, very comfy and uh, nice and cool as well. So I, uh, I'm i happy to wear them everywhere but the long grass. So. Yeah, don't go into the long grass. I love that scene. <laughs> Every time I see long grass, it's the first thing that comes to my head. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, 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 well. I'm glad that... Uh... Well, we're going to take a little bit of a break this week, and I'm glad you're wearing your JP jammies because um, we're going to get into some nostalgia a little later, and JP may, may be something that we touch on. But before we get into that, we got to talk about what is one of the hottest things in nerd right now, and that is Stranger Things. We just consumed collectively over, I guess, the last couple of months, what, eight plus hours, if not more, nine hours of Stranger Things in season four? An absolute mammoth of a season with the final episode being close to two and a half hours long. A feature-length final episode of a Netflix show. And I gotta say something here right off the top. We're dealing with hour-plus episodes, one full feature-length. And these things are riveting from start to absolute finish. One of the best seasons, one of the best shows out there. And for the life of me... And this might be controversial, but for the life of me, I cannot figure out how the Duffer brothers are able to put two and a half hours on screen of this show and have me engaged the whole time. But our poor, poor Obi-Wan Kenobi can't put 35 minutes without 20 minutes of filler in there. Now, that is a bit of a, a steep criticism, but it is something that I definitely thought about when I'm watching these final two episodes, especially, which are collectively like four hours long. As long as Zack Snyder's Justice League. Just, <laughs> that's what we watch. That's what I watch back to back. Yeah, I I think they did a tremendous job. Like you said, the thing was entertaining from start to finish. And just looking at the episode lengths, I, I certainly caught myself thinking like, oh man, these are going to be hard to sit through and there's going to be... Uh, lots of down moments and extraneous things, but it was actually a really, really lean show. And they didn't spend a ton of time in the upside down, and they did some really creative things with how they showcased their flashbacks and filling in the backstory. Mm -hmm. They honestly didn't add on a ton of new stories and new characters who were doing things adjacent to what our main crew was. We added Eddie and he was a fantastic character and awesome. probably, yeah, he'll go down as one of the fan favorite characters for the entire series type of thing. But he was intimately uh, intertwined in what our group of kids from season one point forward were doing. I thought they 
did some great things with the development of the characters and having them have some kind of 360 degree character development, especially ones like Steve and Nancy and them looking back at their relationship and where it's going, going forward and who they are as people. And I think that's why this series really um, shone compared to some other stuff is because they took their time with those fundamental pieces of movie making and storytelling and they got into the minutia of the characters and they made you care about the characters and it wasn't about selling you anything other than this really great compelling story like even uh hopper's story and the romance there they did a great job and like they really made you feel like these two were pining for each other since he went on that date with Joyce, it sounded like maybe back in high school or something like that, and this love yeah. that never was. And it was it was kind of neat to see a bit of an older couple, much like uh, Laura Dern and Sam Neill in Jurassic World Dominion. It's just something different and fresh. And the, the entire series seemed to bring something new and exciting every single episode. And yeah, I was, I'm happy to say that I was totally wrong. And those last couple episodes when they dropped and I saw that it was just two and it was like kind of the hour and a half and then the two and a half hours or whatever it was episode. I was like, Oh, I have no idea how we're going to find time to watch that second episode. And we ended up crushing them back to back. Zack Snyder justice league style. <laughs> I did the same thing, man. I was literally got home from a trip. Absolutely exhausted last night. I put on the first episode and I said, I'm only going to watch this first one. And then I look at the time for the second one, like, okay, well, here I am at 1230 at night, have to get up for work at, <laughs> at six. And I'm like, I, I got through it until I, yeah, I got, was about one o'clock by the time I actually got to sleep. So I committed and I was, wasn't falling asleep. I was engaged. I was having a blast. And like you said, it was, it's all character. Like there is some thriller aspect to it, of course, with the horror elements and the upside down and all that, but this is all about your engagement with those characters. And like you said, they took time in this season in particular to focus on not so much the core four or five of them. It was really much about the periphery characters, the characters they added, your Steve's, Nancy's, Max, uh, Eddie. Those are the characters that, to me, that shone in this, where, where all the other guys kind of took a bit of a backseat to a degree. They were still doing things like Dusty was still, they're all still progressing and doing things inside of this. But the big leaps came in those other characters, those more traditionally supporting characters in the first three seasons. And man, did I ever, ever enjoy this. Like you said, Eddie Munson, he, he was absolutely fantastic. The character was great. The payoffs for a lot of this and even the payoff for the story. I have to honestly say, just because we've been watching this for so long, like I went back and started watching the first season again. And the kids are so small. They've grown up so much inside of this. Is that this story, I always felt a little bit confused by it all. I didn't quite grasp exactly what was going on with the Upside Down, how it all fits together, where the puzzle pieces are, what's missing. And this season did such a good job bringing together all four seasons and really explaining the origin of the Upside Down, how they got into it, where this one comes from, how all that works, his connection to Eleven, and then really setting up for a humongous, massively climactic season five, which is going to be essentially the world's melding together in a, in a very, very big way. But I love how they went back and just kind of tied it all together. Now, whether it's retconning or whether they wrote this from start to finish, and this is how it was always supposed to be, I don't know. But man, did the story ever work for me? Yeah, well, and I think that's part of the part of the charm of it is that it started small and it actually stayed small for mm -hmm. three seasons. It was relatively compact and it just grew it enough so that um, it kept you interesting. It kept you guessing, but it gave them lots of room to further develop their characters and to really decide where they're taking the world. And I don't feel like we need to go past season five to no, resolve the story either, which is a great place for them to be with wanting to close out the series. So yeah, there's something to be said for just telling a tight, concise, finite story. And it's no different than what I've banged on about with TV all the time. It's just like, 
I would rather take a story that has a beginning, middle, and end, and even though I love it, is going to finish, like something like Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul, than something that just goes on forever and loses its way after you initially love it. Like, I don't know, The Flash, I guess, is a good example of that. Yeah. Where it was great until it wasn't. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's such a tough thing to do, especially with with these platforms and even with cable TV and all that, right? You've got to hit. You want to maintain that. This is going to be a hard one for Netflix to end in some capacity. There may be a spinoff, but it really does feel like, and I don't know if it's us knowing it or if it's a natural progression, an organic end that we all feel that is coming. Because if they go beyond a season five, I don't know where you go. I feel like this last season that's coming for us is the end of the story you get that finality as they've built towards this which is kind of rare to be honest with you yeah and if they if they end it off then that's fine like i think you have to have faith in some of the things that you're developing and Mm -hmm. move forward right so i would love nothing more for the sandman to pick up that stranger things fan base and um they've got something that can last them for decades because i doubt that this first season of the show encapsulates much more than the first arc of that book and that's one that lends itself to tons of spin-offs and alternative takes mm. and and there's just a ton of source material anyway so even if you stayed to the book so i i do kind of feel like that's the way to do things because it keeps an audience engaged and it preserves the integrity of the art to be honest with you so i i appreciate that the duffer brothers had a story they wanted to tell and despite its success, I hope that they go out on a high and just have it as this perfect product that is going to be evergreen for them and that mm-hmm. this project kind of lasts forever as opposed to something that's like, well, you know, it was good. And then they went to season six and seven kind of lost its way and eight was okay. But then, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, you don't I want don't know. Yeah. Not at all. And I really don't think that we're going to get there. I think that there's there's something big on the horizon. This is one of the bigger cliffhangers that they've less, left us on for Stranger Things, if I'm not not mistaken. They've always kind of left us with something more, but this is uh, quite a large cliffhanger. I'm not mm-hmm. sure when season five actually drops, presumably next summer. No, it's 2024. So they said oh, they're... 2024. Yeah, they're not even starting writing until August is what they oh, said. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah so it's going to leave us hanging. So, But to be fair, they did just give us an immense amount of content over the last two months. And so it should be more enough to hold us over in Stranger Things. And and what a cool original story. It's one of my favorites of all time, I think, from streaming services at least, and maybe even TV in general. It, it, it just, there's something about it, right? It's the nostalgia piece it does right. And I'm not so much one for that horror thriller elements, but I just can't get enough of this stuff. Yeah, they did a good job and you because it is so unique in the space you really didn't know what you were getting in for so you just kind of took it as it came Mm -hmm. and you judged it based on what was being presented to you type of thing and yeah i I think they did a great job with it so i'm I'm curious to see where it goes and where you know even just like characters like owens dr owens Mm -hmm. ends up or um you know that they got to give that weird Murray guy as much time as they did. I thought him and Joyce were a riot. Yeah. Yeah. So no, it was good. Yeah. All good. And to be honest with you, when I'm watching it, when it comes to like the thriller end of it, watching it in bed, my wife's asleep beside me. Kids are asleep. I'm watching a bright screen in the pitch black with my AirPods on. And three times the kids came in and scared the crap out of me. (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, I'm looking up and I can see shadows and all of a sudden the oldest is standing there. And then the, at one point, the youngest got up and had wandered into the room. And I'm like, I can't see. And I almost think that they're coming through the upside down. Like, where's the where's the doorway here? Because it's starting to freak me out. Yeah. Little demigorgons coming to get you. Yeah. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> so, guys, if you have not watched Stranger Things, you got you got some work to do there. Hopefully we didn't spoil it there for you, but it, it's definitely one of those shows that you have to get into. You know, it, it feels very much like a big commitment, but I think once you start into that binge mode, you're going to have a hard time stopping just like Carlos and I did for the four hours that we collectively watched over the last little bit. And you guys hadn't even consumed the first part of season four 
So you guys must have got through a lot of Stranger Things the last couple of weeks. Yeah, we just kind of sat down after we had ended all our other shows. And yeah, it's been kind of good with having something that we can sit down as a family or at least most of the family and just um, spend an hour together with something that's totally enjoyable and completely accessible to everybody. So yeah, we caught up pretty quick. Like we... We finished, I think, just the Wednesday before the new stuff dropped on the Friday or whatever it was. Nice. We only had like two or three days between the end of part A and the, the last two of season four dropping. So, yeah, it, it, timing ended up working out well. And I wasn't uh, subjected to much in the way of spoilers. So No, none whatsoever hit my eyeballs, I can tell you that much. So, very, very cool. So, guys, there it is. Stranger Things, season one through four. Go check that out before 2024. When you'll see the last season, season five, and uh, very very exciting things there. But man, let's 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 move over to to talk some collecting. We're not going to do our normal news bits or this weekend nerd, or we can maybe start to slot in a little bit of our weekend nerd. But one of the things that we have not talked a lot about recently is, of course, collecting, and that, as in part, as we've explained, due to the fact that life has life has been busy i no longer have a place to display which has been a kind of a weird epiphany about collecting and i never really realized that if you don't have somewhere to put it there's less desire to actually bring it into your house and just put it into a bin and so i have a new appreciation for the concept and the need and desire to have a nerd room but looking back at collecting over the last couple of years it's been an interesting roller coaster ride through the pandemic for sure because Collecting became a bit of a muse, became a bit of an escape for me in particular. I think for all of us and for a lot of you listeners out there too, it's collecting became a real hobby because it was accessible, it was safe, and it was something you could do contained inside of your own home. We're just relying really on post and maybe the odd trip to, to Walmart wearing your mask or what have you. But when the pandemic era hit, Carlos, I remember us talking about what is, what's going to happen to collecting? Is it going to stop? Are all the action figures going to stop? And it turned out to be almost the complete opposite, where wave upon wave, especially as we got into the second part, the second year of the pandemic, really started to inundate all of us. And at times, it became relatively overwhelming, the amount of action figures, modern action figures we were collecting. And then nostalgia became a big piece of it as well. And I think that's where the pandemic era of collecting really took off for a lot of people was nostalgia became a huge seller and really the 80s and 90s became that piece where a lot of people were going back to spending some of that government money that we were getting or people were getting i never got any and for those of us who were fortunate enough to keep our jobs this is you know we weren't spending money on trips and all this so let's dump it into to collections and why are the 80s and 90s popular? Here's here's something I want to throw at you, Carlos, before I turn over to you to talk a little bit about nostalgia and, and particularly why it's, it's so important for toys right now. But I was talking to my dad the other day. Both him and I are big Back to the Future fans. And I was doing a little math in my head. And did you know if Back to the Future was made today, Marty McFly would be going back to 1992? No, Let that I didn't. sink in a little bit. Yeah, Let that sink in a little bit. That's nuts. So... He'd be going of to see course, Batman Returns. McFly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would be on the marquee. Yeah. Barney McFly goes to from 1985 to 1955. In my head, that is going from the era I was born in to an era so far away that it was unfathomable. It was so far in the past that it was about bubblegum and lollipops and you know all that kind of crazy car stuff and everything that happens in in that movie 1955 but our kids my kids in particular you know going back and watching the same film with the say if it was made today they would think 1992 is equivalent to 1955 yeah i yeah it is it is crazy i don't know like the technology kind of evens mm. it out a little bit, right? Because there's a little bit massive, massive, massive jumps in technology. Like computers essentially only existed in entire floors of government facilities type yeah. of thing in the in the fifties, right? And now people have them in their pockets. Whereas home computers were a thing late 80s and certainly through the 90s and stuff so 
Yeah, like I, I don't know that it would be as much of a culture shock, but it would definitely be there. It would yeah. definitely be there. Um, but yeah, it, that's a that's a sobering point. I'm like almost uh, stuck for words that you bring yeah. up that well, that's what Marty would be going back to. And the reason I bring it up is because it's it's a really weird concept to think that vintage is now the 80s and 90s and that vintage piece became such an important part of collecting in that we me specifically when we talked throughout the pandemic it all became about the retros after that moment when you handed me off a whole bunch of turtles yeah like it just flipped the script right away but it was that was right at the start of the pandemic it has cha- totally changed the course of my collecting future entirely. I'll get into it in a little bit, but it's completely different. And that, that to me is also a bit, a bit mind blowing that I did a complete 180 on my preferences for a moment. And then the whole world seemingly did that at the same time. Yeah, it, it is weird. Like as far as me and the retro space goes, is it's always been a place that I've dabbled and I've always had it blissfully to myself right where Mm -hmm. it's like yeah there's the odd thing that's going to be a few bucks but even a few bucks it's not terrible and it's just like well do i want to put like the whatever the 80 bucks for um a superpowers carded figure towards uh a statue or something flashier or get this one that i'm missing but the pandemic hits and that 80 bucks quickly flipped to 180 bucks and now 280 bucks. And I'm just like, holy smokes. It, it, everybody came into that space and gobbled up all those things that um, I just took for granted as being readily available mm-hmm. type of thing. And, and there's a few things that it, I did have that mindset of like, yeah, I'll scratch it off the itch or off the list whenever it's been there since the 90s kind of thing and it's been a pretty steady price uh in the last 15 20 years and then all of a sudden everything skyrocketed so yeah it's been it's been weird for me in that regard in the retro space and then just people being into things that i would have never thought it's like what do you mean I can't buy this RoboCop action figure because it's ridiculously priced now? Yeah. So, yeah. You, you even looked at things like companies like NECA, Hasbro, even McFarlane now. Everyone's – those modern toy companies, although having modern toys and having those lines, a lot of them have gone back and have parallel lines that are emulating and recreating – all of this retro stuff that has become immensely popular in the last couple of years. Everything from wrestling figures to Star Wars, G.I. Joe, everything, whether it's the small inch or either like directly duplicating what was done or doing retro throwbacks with modern six-inch figures. It's all there. It, that has become almost one of the main lines for a lot of these companies. NECA is doing nostalgia perfectly. They're they're developing it in a slightly different way, bringing back things like the 90s Turtles to those lines, RoboCop, like you said, and doing it in a, that six-inch, more articulated form and giving us stuff that we never really had. But it all depends on that nostalgia. And I think a lot of it, and a lot of the success over the last couple of years, is owed directly to this revert back to this era throughout the pandemic. Oh, yeah. Like, you, you mentioned McFarlane there, and it's like people have been excited and buying his figures, right? Like the proof is in the pudding with him winning that award last year, but I haven't seen buzz around his action figures go as nuts as it has with the leaks of the superpowers line that he's done. And they haven't even been officially announced, but they've been leaked into retailers and people are finding Mm -hmm. them down in the States in certain spots. And people are going, absolutely crazy for them they go for crazy money online and they are they are perfect like uncle todd does it again it's like here's superman and he is in a pretty much exact reproduction of that 80s superpowers superman card with the garcia lopez art but a different word bubble and here's batman and he's in the superpowers card but instead of doing garcia lopez batman we're gonna put this badass Jim Lee Batman on the card 
and here's Darkseid, and it's going to be Darkseid's old package, but with the new 52 Darkseid on it. And it's like, ah, this is all just so darn cool. So yeah. I cannot buy those things fast enough, I say, as I have been consciously making an effort to buy less figures for myself. But uh, <laughs> yeah, the superpowers, like, good Lord, like they, <laughs> those starbursts are, I'm just an easy, easy mark for them. Oh, yeah. And, like, I got caught up in that into the retro game, the retro remake game with the Turtles and all that. I ended up selling most, if not all of it, because I, I got back in the mentality that I wanted the actual retro stuff. But you look at a guy like Troy, and he is completely and utterly satisfied with having that touch of those Ghostbusters from Hasbro in his collection. No desire to go back and do the old ones. And they released, like, the Wagon and the Blimp and all that. And we talked a lot about that stuff. And, you know, for a lot of people, it's relatively accessible. It's about the same price, in some instances, quite a bit cheaper with some of the turtle stuff. But a lot of people are just satisfied with that scratching the itch in that fashion. Not everyone needs, like myself, needs that old stuff. And I think it's kind of an interesting balance that people strike with with going back and getting it as a touch of your collection or as a focus. But no need to actually go back and, and buy the things that you had as a kid that had that date stamp of 1988, 1989, 1990 on the back of the leg. Yeah, I think sometimes it's just the look of the thing, right? So if you can satisfy having mm -hmm. that look in your collection, then you're happy with it. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't really have a point of reference because, like, in the '90s and early 2000s, like I said, when I had all this stuff to myself, I picked away and like got a lot of those uh, '80s and. 70s and 80s pieces that I wanted type of thing from back then and I'm pretty picky with Batman stuff like I kind of focus on the Denny O'Neill Neil Adams reboot era and looks forward so not I don't do a ton of Batman 66 stuff and whatnot but uh, there are lots of people that do and they're just happy to have Adam West and Burt Ward it doesn't matter if McFarlane made it or Mego. they just want those figures with that look in their collections so yeah, I think everybody's kind of in a different space. I totally get where you're coming from, though. Like, especially with something like your Jurassic collecting, those yeah. dinosaurs are so unique. 100%. That if you buy the modern stuff, like my kid has an amazing dinosaur collection, and it's from like a German company, but the dinosaurs that they make are a thousand percent just knockoff Jurassic Park <laughs> yeah. dinosaurs. It's like, Here's the male T-Rex from the Lost World with a green color scheme and some black <laughs> striping. And just happens to be that the one in the running pose is brown. And it has a little bit of battle damage around the eye and whatnot. And <laughs> we don't have feathers in our velociraptors. They look exactly like the ones from Jurassic Park 3. <laughs> but they're just dinosaurs. So... Yeah, and just here's Spinosaurus. We haven't made all these other genus of dinosaurs, but we'll make Spinosaurus. I don't know why. So yeah. I, I love looking at those. And it's an interesting point you bring up about the Jurassic Park stuff in particular is that companies like Hasbro, McFarley, even NECA, they've all, like I said, gone back and at times almost made complete replicas. But Mattel has veered away from that in some degree in the Jurassic space. They've gone... And done the three and three quarter inch. They've done the dinosaurs, but they've never gone back to that original action figure scale, which was closer to four, four and a half inch, or the original like roto molds of the dinosaurs, like the soft skin dinosaurs that you do get. There might be a couple out there, but for the most part, I think they are relatively hard plastic dinosaurs, which I don't like. I don't have any modern Jurassic Park stuff, even well, a few of the legacy stuff, but even the them going back and redoing the tim and lex with the jungle explorer the breakout and all that i never bought any of that stuff i don't I, there's something about it that just doesn't work for me well so between you and mj modern one of yeah. you guys has to buy that hammond collection t-rex because that thing's just too cool <laughs> i think that might be where i actually i've seen <laughs> multiple reviews of it online and that might be where i finally break but yeah. i've also been looking at some of those what is it iron studios statues and all that that they have that look just absolutely incredible. Um, I don't know. I don't know. We'll get to the future of collecting here in a minute as to, to where my brain is at. But one thing I, I, I also want to touch on here that's been a nagging question in my head, and 
I can't remember if we talked about this in person or if we've talked about this in the podcast before. So we have. I do apologize, but let's shine a new light on it. 80s and 90s. Will this last forever? Will all this stuff, will vintage Star Wars, Jurassic Park, DC superhero, like all this stuff, will that be absolutely worthless in 40 years? Will no one care about it as our kids go back and collect their era of toys that they have their own personal renaissance when they hit the age of 40 38 45 whatever in collecting eventually i think they'll all get there but let's say no i'm not gonna put this in the universe but let's say for whatever reason there's a moment in time where things from the 2020s become immensely popular pokemon cards or whatever the hell is popular with kids right now pj masks or whatever Coco Melon. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know what any of those things are. <laughs> they're all like little kid toy things. <laughs> but but, but does the, the, the toys of our life, of our era, disappear? You know, I look back at like my, my father's era, and they didn't have the toy production on scale, or not even close, than the 80s and 90s, right? The, they had you know, a bit of G.I. Joe, a bit of Planet of the Apes, but a you know, few things here and there, but nothing on scale like we did. So I don't have any interest in anything from that era, right? All the way up through the 70s even. I don't have much interest in what was being put out. And it might be a production thing. But do you think our kids, do you think the future is going to have any interest in the 80s and 90s? Or are they going to go to the way of the 40s and 50s where that becomes kind of a lost piece, right? It becomes too vintage. It becomes an era I don't experience. I have no physical or even emotional attachment to. So why do I have the need to have something like that in my life? Yeah, I think it, it. there's two answers to it. Like, I think, yes, it will fade away. Like, you look at things like Roy Rogers and Matchbox cars and mm. the loan. And, and it's like, there's a finite group of people that covet that stuff. And the only younger people that you have that are still collecting it are ones that had experience with parents that were passionate collectors type of thing. Right. Mm. But once they're gone, like those things will, will be relics type of thing and will be collectible or worth money simply because they're extremely old at that point in time. Yeah. I think where there's a difference though, will be with character stuff in particular, Superman and Batman. Right. Cause like, you have Superman stuff from the 30s and 40s that'll still be worth a lot of money now. And it's not that people who grew up with it want it or anything like that, but it's because people just collect Superman stuff, mm-hmm. right? And Superman has, like my oldest is a perfect example. Like she fell in love with Superman as a toddler and has been with him ever since and like loves anything Superman, but her absolute favorite Superman is actually animated series notwithstanding is actually Golden Age Superman for whatever reason. And it's the one that we had the least exposure to because I'm not really <laughs> Golden Age or Silver Age Superman kind of guy. Um, so I didn't have much of that stuff in my collection or comics or collections that she read uh, for that, but that's just what she gravitated to. But Superman was the gateway type of thing. So I think you'll see similar things with um or even like myself like i love spider-man and was introduced to him in the 80s but i love like 60s spider-man stuff there's just something about the look and the feel and probably a lot of it was that old 60s tv show being on repeat during daytime kids tv here in canada um and that being one of the few ways that you could experience Spider-Man back then. Um, Yeah, I I think those will be where you see that. But now that the characters are also more commonplace, like is a kid who gets introduced to Captain America in the Avengers movies going to go back and collect the 80s Captain America toys? Like, I don't know. It's It's an interesting thought you put out there because, you know, as you're talking through that, you know, I'm having these these slight epiphanies that I'm the same way with the vintage storage figures. I never saw a single one in stores ever in my whole life. I never owned one until I was in my mid-20s. Yet they're my, one of my favorite pieces of my collection because they just kind of hold this original aspect of 
a set of films I hold near and dear, right? They represent the first of it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I really like about it. Um, like if you look at them compared to the articulation we get even on some of these three and three quarters, like they're, they pale in comparison, but there's something just so special about that version and the history behind those figures that makes them immensely collectible to me. And so I guess, yeah, like you said, you, you're, you're going to get people like that. They continue through that even into the turtles and all that stuff, right? That, that it's, it's kind of about going back and collecting that original run of action figures of representations of, of what that was. Yeah, unless they redo them, right? Because that that can be weird. Because it's like, for me, Lion-O. I always wanted a Lion-O action figure. And because mm -hmm. my mom would never... Well, I didn't get toys when I was a kid. And then when I had my own money, she was just like, you're so old to be buying this action figure. Don't be stupid kind of thing. So <laughs> I got shamed into not buying Lion-O. So I never owned Lion-O. Um, but now it's like... I kind of want like this Super 7 Lion O and even like Dave offered me up like the OG Lion O with like all his pieces. I was like, well, I kind of want the fancy one now. <laughs> so yeah, so I don't know, man. It's weird. I guess it, or or even like Troy, I think he jested the Super 7 Turtles and didn't really do the retro ones. Yeah, so, that's the way he went. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's, it's going to be kind of all over the place, I guess. And like I, I think with the lines like neck and that are, are keeping the memory of those alive but going through and, and slightly improving or stylizing a bit in a different fashion or representing them in a certain way that 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 version lives on because there's like the com there's the comic version they're doing there's the tv version and then there's the exact replica but upgraded into the, i think the super seven form of the actual action figures and mm -hmm. so there's like so many different lines that you can collect and get into and they're already so damn deep into those things too that like a whole new generation is being introduced to these these molds, these concepts that, yeah, maybe, maybe, I don't know. It's going to be an interesting to see how this turns out, like looking back on, on things. Cause I, I finally moved into that space and I've had like this massive realization, especially over the last year that I'm finally that guy. I'm old enough to say that like everything in the nineties, everything in the late eighties was way better than it is now. Music, <laughs> the toys, the shows, the movie, you know, I, I, I'm stuck in this and I never thought I'd be that guy. I always thought I'd be the tip of the sphere advanced with technology and all this. I'm like, ah, that VHS was better. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's kind of a funny <laughs> headspace. Not, it's not at all, but it's kind of a funny headspace to get into where you look back and you say to yourself, like that era was better. You know what I mean? My parents were always, you know, that era was better when they're talking about like the music I was listening to in the, in the middle of the nineties. Yeah, I think it, a lot of it, it'll be interesting to see because I don't think the conversation is as much of a straight line as it was from our parents to us and then us to a lesser extent with our kids because technology changes that, right? Yeah. So um, there's, there's going to be things where technology just replaces or keeps things evergreen, like... I don't know. I, I look at a band like Queen. I never listened to Queen, and there were just like this songs that I recognized from going to hockey games. But <laughs> yeah, my kid is like a Freddie Mercury super fan, having discovered his music through streaming services and stuff like that. And um, there's a lady that I know who went to Elvis, and I thought it's because it's like, oh, you're older than me. So, like, did you, like, did your parents listen to Elvis, or like, were you around when he died? And. She's just like, no. She's like, I have no connection to Elvis, but my kids, I guess, are huge fans of his and wanted to go see the movie because they listen to his music all the time. I was like, oh, That's awesome. okay. Yeah, it was just weird. But yeah, it, it creates a different gateway to these things. Um, and, and in some ways, it, it kind of exposes people to the lineage of where some of these songs come from and things of that nature. So... Yeah, well, I'm curious guess it's, to see. Yeah, and like it's it's funny again as you're talking, I'm thinking here. You look at the Kate Bush song from Stranger Things that has spent like the last like four weeks atop the number one song list in the UK because it mm. it has a substantial part in Stranger Things. You go look at what was the song at the start of Peacemaker? Um, oh, Wigwam. Wigwam. Really like those guys are yeah. out touring again, like <laughs> because of a immediate cult hit show that puts their song up to and get, gives it an audience that it's never been exposed to before. 
Um, Elvis is probably going to do the same thing, right? You know, Queen, like you just said, you know, Elton John, like all, all these things that are bringing back, you got filmmakers that are now old enough and putting things out there that they loved. And I know we're straying from the collecting, but I think it's all kind of, all the threads kind of connect here as to, you know, that reintroduction and you've got a crowd now that's like yearning for these older things and that they're starting to come back around again. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be, uh, it'd be interesting to see where, where kids are at and if like NFTs actually take Ugh. off and become a thing. Or... I hate them so much. I don't yeah. know anything about them, but I hate them. <laughs> if they die on the vine or uh-huh. if collection goes that way, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, well, like the NFTs became a, a big thing in the pandemic, but there's a few other things on the more physical side that became popular that neither you nor I ever got into, but the things that we were kind of tracking along the way, like things like grading became super immensely po- popular Ugh. in the pandemic. Comics were always the thing I was aware of. Cards, a little less so, but then video games, VHSs, ticket stubs, Funkos, signatures, like you can get anything graded now. It takes forever, apparently, and they had to shut down, like WADA, who grades video games, had to shut down for a period of time because they got too many. The The card graders had to do the exact same things because things like card breaks became popular, and I I actually enjoy watching card breaks on YouTube. <laughs> I find it fun, and there's a gambling aspect that a lot of people got into in the pandemic, and video games another thing. I have a friend who we're going to have on the show in the not-too-distant future who actually collects and flips and sells video games. And, you know, you think to yourself, well, what the hell does that mean if you're not really in tune with it? And what a lot of people do now is they get video games, 64, NES, anything from the past, really. They get them graded, and they come in these big, chunky plastic things similar to a comic. And it's become this immensely popular collecting space. And in the pandemic era, we're going to look at a couple of things. So pre-pandemic, 2017... Uh, uh, a Super Mario Bro original NES or not NES, yeah NES game sold for thirty thousand dollars. Right before the pandemic started, one sold for a hundred thousand dollars. Mid pandemic, six hundred and sixty thousand dollars. And towards the end of the pandemic, July twenty twenty one, so about a year ago, the highest record ever for a game sold, a sealed copy of Mario sixty four, sold for one point five six million dollars. Mario 64? Yeah, Super Mario 64. So that was like a game when I... When did that come out? I might have been 10 when that came out. So like mid-90s. Yeah, um, that sounds about right. Something mid to... Yeah. And so like Legend of Zelda, $870,000 it went for. It's it's insane, this thing. I, I watched some crazy Pokemon card breaks where these cards were selling graded for $500,000. Yeah, which is nuts. And it's so funny because, like, video games is distinctly one of those things that I would buy them and I would never, ever hesitate to crack them open and play mm-hmm. them because it's just, like, my mindset as somebody who did collect back then was, like, this will never be worth anything because yep. there's so many copies, right? Yeah. Like, well, it becomes – but that was the mentality, right? There's so few copies that are still sealed and in good condition. Mm-hmm. Like, how many Super Mario Brothers, like the original Nintendo game, how many of those left sealed are there actually out there? I'm sure there's a population that you can get off the internet from the graded stuff, but there can't be too many. Yeah. Like, how many kids didn't open those games? It would have been the ones that got put in a bin somewhere and forgot about for 30 years. Oh, it would be retailers. Yeah, Yeah. that find them in the back of warehouses or people that buy storage bins for Mm -hmm. people that had, you know, bought liquidations of products and stuff like that. But yeah, it's crazy. I, I guess whatever brings people joy, like I, I'll never begrudge people. Not at that. all. If you're going to spend 500 grand on a Pokemon card, like maybe donate to the homeless foundation as well at the same time. <laughs> but um, yeah. it's crazy how things can escalate so quickly when there's some dispendable cash. And, you know, this is interesting. I've, I've read a lot and heard a lot about the grading systems getting into a bit of trouble more recently with class action lawsuits filed against a couple of them, one in particular heritage auctions in WADA uh, who, who grades these video games because they, there is a, an accusation, an accusation that is uh, of them trying to drive up the place to collectibles and flipping them to family first. And because of the backlog, 
you know, now you have a population of two or three at this, at these high grades and they held back some stuff and then it got flooded. And then the price of course goes down as the population grows and all that. And so there's a few class action lawsuits out there for, for some of this grading stuff that happened during the pandemic because of price, uh, artificial price inflation. Oh man, there's like shady stuff in comic grading has been a thing mm-hmm. for years, but <laughs> nobody wants to hear it. Like our pal Jay that was on the podcast a little while ago, we will do a four hour podcast moaning about comic grading if you guys want. <laughs> right into Tim, <laughs> inundate him with emails and we'll have Jay back on and one of us will introduce the show and one of us will eventually hit stop recording because <laughs> we'll be able to get four hours out of that guy. Uh, who is a certified grader from the from the old days, and yeah, I got a court certified grader that I'm pals with here too, and uh, yeah, we can have them go off. But yeah, there's loads of manipulations and shady things that happen, and guys pressing comics and getting <laughs> higher have, grades. Like, yeah, and it's all just made up, right? The entire yeah, market it's... and industry for graded things is just made up. So. <laughs> Yeah, they're they're only worth it's, as much as they are to you. It's pretty crazy, and you know, one last thing that that I'll highlight here is the VHS tapes become have become immensely popular over the last little bit. So much so that more recently, this June, so we're we're living in that pandem- pandemic hangover era. A copy that was owned by Tom Wilson, who plays Biff Tannen in those movies, sold for $75,000, a sealed copy to Back to the Future. Now, it did come with a little note stating that this was one of the copies that the studio sent him, and he promptly tucked it away and never thought about it, and then brought it back up, threw it on eBay, got a huge amount of interest from it, pulled it down, went to Heritage Auctions, and they did a, a big auction for it. So seventy five grand for a sealed copy, sealed VHS copy of Back to the Future. I I don't have a sealed one, but I have a copy of one, and it's pretty wild. I think there's something to do like a, there's a history to it, there's a story to it that's likely associated with the grading. Like this was owned by Tom Wilson, and this was the first copy he was sent from the studio upon its release. And so there's a major history to it, but still crazy money for a VHS tape that you could have probably found in a bargain bin for absolutely nothing at, in the year 2002. Oh, man. It's like I I have to look no further than moving out my parents a couple of years ago. Like, it wasn't that long ago. There's pod, lots of podcast episodes about me moaning about that process. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, a whole load of VHS tapes. That, yeah, I threw them up in the DM to you guys, whoever wanted them. Sonny took a few. I think maybe you took one. And, uh, yeah, the rest went into the big disposal disposal thing that I had going in the back of my folks house and then some lady came and bought a table and then picked through the bins and <laughs> took a bunch of the VHS tapes home and I was like oh, whatever yeah Good I, I found myself in a couple local secondhand shops pouring through vintage just trying to get I like the look of them right I like them as accent pieces but I've never looked at them as an as an investment of any kind um, but it's gone that way it's gone that way and it's it's interesting to see how all these things have cycled around and become a met like VHS was one of the things that I thought this will never ever be worth anything. Like none of these are so like every person on planet earth owned a copy of Jurassic park mm-hmm. and the Titanic two box set. You know what I mean? Like everyone owned those. And, yeah. but here we are, I guess it then comes down to population size of a sealed 10, you know, back to the future, VHS like those must be relatively rare I would think but yeah yeah for me we just kept kind of like my kid took the copy of the lost world that I had mm-hmm. and I yeah and I brought Batman and Batman Returns home and then like god since the first day I moved out of my folks house I've had the freaking Michael Jackson's Moonwalker VHS with yeah. me <laughs> I don't even own, <laughs> own a VCR anymore but he's always been with me, me yeah, oh, I love toss it. that thing in my grave. It. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it, it's been an interesting last year in collecting, kind of reflecting back on what the pandemic era was, and I find myself in particular, and I've been talking to some other collectors about this concept of the pandemic hangover in collecting, where everyone got so into so many different things, and then we've come out the backside of it. Real life has returned, travel has returned, extracurricular activities have returned. And I find myself in a place where I'm like, 
what am I doing with my collection? You know, I'm purging Funko Pops. I'm getting rid of all that retro stuff. Some of those spur-of-the-moment buys have gone back out the window. I'm selling Lego. I'm purging a lot of things that I look at and I said, this doesn't belong in my collection anymore. But if you had asked me six, eight months ago, even longer, maybe a year ago, I would have said, I'm never, none of this stuff will ever leave my room. And so I find that a lot of people are coming down off this where they're reflecting back on a lot of things, Black Series and Marvel Legends, and price points have really increased a lot. And so that's pushed collectors to make hard decisions on elements of their collection. And so, Carlos, for you, to finish off here in the last couple minutes, what does the future of collecting look like for you coming out of the pandemic, through the pandemic hangover, where does it sit? Like, is it retro? Is it still so intensely Batman? Is it Marvel McFarlane's? Like, where does your collecting go? Yeah, I think my space will change. I think the the Batcave will diversify itself and just um, be, like, honestly inspired largely by you and just be kind of a fun space where I can have um, just anything cool that I want to be around and... Um, you know, maybe even carve out some space for a bit of uh, retro gaming console or mm-hmm. cabinet Very and nice. something of that nature and just kind of build in around there just because there, there's things that I that I love that I have that aren't displayed properly just because they're not Batman. Um, like my Witcher swords in particular are like one of the things that it's like, ah, these deserve better than uh, just kind of being, being down here but tucked off to the side. Um, so there, there is that, uh, honestly, like uncle Todd burnt me out on the figures. Mm-hmm. Like, like the price has stayed good. The quality has stayed good. I've loved what he's done, but just so many, there's just been, it's been impossible to keep up. So I've really curated down to just ones that, that I love that speak to me. Right. So I, I like I've passed on some some really sweet ones like Aquaman and Martian Manhunter. Well, I might buy Aquaman, but um, <laughs> like mm-hmm. Batman of Zurana. I just love that figure, and my buddy mocked me incessantly when I picked it off the shelf excitedly, being like, "What is this garbage you are buying? This Batman <laughs> in a red, purple, and yellow suit?" But it was just for me. So I, I think that'll be the way I go forward um, with with kind of newer stuff. And yeah, and honestly, like I had the first kind of statue type piece in a long time come home. I had paid for it so long ago I forgot about it, but um, I had uh, the Jim Lee style hush bust from Prime One Studios and I bought it through big bad toy store and it just sat on my pile of loot for so long waiting for some of the my kids black series figures to actually get produced that have been on pre-order for honestly years now uh for some of those to fulfill but yeah i got the email saying like yeah we got to ship this thing to you it's kind of reaching expiry but getting that back in my hands and opening it up and just seeing how cool and glorious it was I'm just like, ah, this is kind of my space. Like, this is where I belong, right? In this statue type space. And um, it makes for boring uh, our weekend nerds because it's like, yeah, I put a payment down on this thing that I have coming eventually. <laughs> but uh, it's it just, it is honestly where, where my heart lies mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm. the, you know, maybe get one or two pieces a year type of thing. But there are things that, that I just adore. So I think come the fall, that might be where the focus shifts again. Not that I'm going to be chasing anything, but um, I may or may not have stuff on pre-order that payments will be (laughs) starting to get applied (laughs) to come the fall. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah. It's, it's, I kind of, it makes me happy that we're both kind of experiencing a similar thing. Now I wouldn't call it a, I'm having a bit more of an existential crisis in collecting than you are, I think, but it is rethinking, and I think a lot of people are going through that. And me, myself, I've, like I've said in detail here, my room's down. I got somewhere to go at the end of August to start a brand new nerd room that's going to be the long term nerd room. And I've been seriously thinking about what I want it to be and what I want my collection to be. It's something that I'm never going to stop doing, but 
I'm at a point where I think I'm done with Black Series. Um, that collection kind of waned out, and I think I'm I'm happy enough now that it's away that I'm I don't need to do that right now. Even Marvel Legends, a, a collection that I thought I would do forever, I'm feeling myself burnt by the volume again, similar to you with the McFarlands, is that it got through like the Eternals and Shang Chi and No Way Home and Multiverse of Madness, and like holy moly, like it's a lot of stuff for films that I like but don't love. And so I'm thinking about, okay, maybe I just do the Infinity Saga figures. And mm-hmm. any time they go back and redo a figure. And then maybe some first appearance stuff from the Disney Plus. I, I really liked that Loki wave they did and this new Disney Plus wave that's coming out. I kind of like the some of the stuff. But I'm not going to be – I don't think I'm going to get any of the, reg- or the Love and Thunder stuff. Like I haven't even went and looked for it. And so yeah. my modern stuff is really taking a big pause. And – Retro is going to be, I think, my sole focus. You know, I've got the Turtles collection, JP, Star Wars, of course. I think I want to start up the, the that 92 Batman collection. I'm going back and getting that stuff loose and really having my collection focused on, like, the experience of nostalgia is where I want to be. I think the pandemic era really opened my eyes to that piece of it again, and that's where I want to spend my time, digging through bins, going to sales, and having some fun on the secondary market with some of the stuff and, and just enjoying that element of it. And I think to me, I like the idea of my nerd room being something that's preserving that hit my own personal history with toys and collecting. That's and cool. That's kind of the direction I think I'm going. And so we'll see how that lands. It's, it's something the other, one other thing I think I've been thinking about is, is I've never collected autographs. But I've had this like overwhelming desire to have almost this experience space. Like I want to get autographs on. I got to pick something that has like a through line, whether it's an encyclopedia or whether. And I got to. I don't even know who I'd get to sign things. But the idea of, of autographs kind of has intrigued me a lot more so, as of late. So like getting like a Star Wars encyclopedia and chasing the yeah, autographs or an MCU one or, or something like that. Yeah, and chasing something like that. I don't know. I really don't know, to be honest with you. I've, I've just thought of this idea of like having Dude, the some... DCCW, man, because those guys always come through Calgary. Yeah, they're always so around here. <laughs> 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 so yeah, that, that's, that's kind of it, you know. It's funny. Like, we've, we've had such a, a significant event in our lives with the pandemic, and it, it became – collecting became such a, a focal point, a, an escape, like I said at the top. But that in itself has informed and been – a quite a crucial piece of what the future holds for for us for you being almost a lifelong collector and me doing it for well over a decade after taking a bit of a break and it's it's this constant evolution of things and it's sometimes these red herring events that that really pivot things and i we've seen so much of it in this space and i'm just interested to see where everything goes and i'm glad we're able to sit and have this conversation this week and hash out a few things well, and it can lead to, like, collecting can lead to hilarious dynamics. Mm-hmm. So, like, in our bonus room, my wife has her Funko Pops collection, and she very much loves Funko Pops. And, in fact, was telling the kids' friends just yesterday, you know, we kind of turned our nose up at them. But she's like, I just love them. They're fun. And she's like, you know what? I'd, I'd like them, too. They're They're just fun. My daughter's friend. But yet, at the same time, like my daughter is going like full Palpatine and planning this takeover of the room with her, with her clones. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. Amazing. Execute yeah, order sixty six on the Funko yeah. Pops. <laughs> begun the Clone Wars have. So I think it's amazing. Yeah, I think yeah. it's amazing. So yeah, it can lead to fun family dynamics. It certainly can, and everyone has their own story, you know everyone has their own pandemic experience everyone has their own hangover and everyone has their own future and we'd love to hear anything you got to say in this space you can always email us at nerdroom at gmail.com you can find everything we do over the nerdroom.net the hunt is gonna be real at some point but you can always follow us over on instagram at the nerdrm and twitter youtube well i should start with youtube got a new video coming up this week it's gonna detail the end of the nerd room and I'm going to chuck that up, and then it'll be paired with a, an introduction to the nerd room, new nerd room here towards the fall space, so the fall time frame. So I'm really looking forward to that and kind of going on that journey. 
in the not too distant future here and twitter you know i don't spend really any time on there anymore but i try to jump on once in a while to check out what the listeners are doing and some of the experiences people are having um but taking a break from social media has been definitely uh, a nice uh, uh a mental requirement for me over the last couple months and so um i appreciate you guys coming and supporting the show by listening downloading it retweeting the odd tweet that we put up promoting the show stuff so thank you guys so much for for coming back every week and listening to this talk you know most of the time about news but this week about collecting because this is, is a, a true passion of ours and we always enjoy taking a break from the everyday and talking about something new and, and a little different so yeah and you know what the Tweet us and tag us with your collecting journeys yes. and where you're at and what you're doing or pictures of your collection or whatever you want. And mm-hmm. uh, Yeah, man. We, we want to see it all. Our handles are at the end of the episode. So, Cosmo, man, I don't know if we're going to be re- – you have to go see – I'm going to go see Love and Thunder this weekend. But I have to convince you to go see Love and Thunder this weekend if we're going to actually review it. Or maybe we'll just do like we did with the Elvis review and the Top Gun review where I just see it. I give you kind of a spoiler-free review embedded inside of – the show um so we'll see you'll see next week if we review thor love and thunder if carlos actually saw it or not <laughs> yeah it could be a, a one man or a two man but yeah we'll deliver it in some fashion and yes we will yes we will. Uh, there'll be the the uh i don't i don't know it'd be interesting to see if it's as riveting as your elvis review or the top gun review as we're talking through this because the initial reviews for thor love and thunder are i would say mixed at best <laughs> so we shall see how that all lands I'm, I'm quite excited about it still so uh guys Come back every single week, every single Thursday. Just hear all things Stars, Marvel, DC, and beyond. But with all that being said, a bit of collecting talk behind us, Carlos. Got to put an end to this episode by saying farewell. And ultimately, for the Nerd Room, I'm Tim. And I'm Batman. And thank you so much for entering the Nerd Room. This has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts Tim, Troy, Sanjay, and Carlos on Twitter at TheNerdRM, TroyTheBoy87, Sanjabi, and CDN Caped Crusade R. For more content from The Nerd Room, check out thenerdroom.net. And don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, wherever you plug in. Use the hashtag WeTheNerd to keep up with the latest from The Nerd Room on Instagram and Twitter.